Today, we will continue our series on Connected, Connecting with God and Others. Thank you for joining us. Uh, to the Cross Loganville, I'm Tim Cash, lead pastor. That was Nick Slade, our worship pastor. We've got an incredible team of people here, uh, but we're so glad that you would visit with us on this Labor Day weekend. Now, as I told the first service, I'm going to tell y'all, uh, this message I'm sharing with you today, uh, I'm, I'm going to bring a lot of offense to the dance today uh, in this proclamation because most of y'all last night watched defense for about three and a half hours, and you need something that's going to fuel you a little bit today. But if you're visiting, go to our website, please. Uh, and all of our people should be visiting the website quite often, thecrossloganville.org. And when you're there, you will see a connect card uh, where you can uh, like just uh, fill that out, send it to us. We'll send you some information. It's a way for us to follow up and, and uh, help you take that next step. Uh, you'll see the giving app. Our people are very generous here. Uh, generosity is our greatest apologetic and declaration of our faith, we believe. And so uh, being good stewards of the resources that God's given us uh, uh, is so, so crucial in our journey. And the giving app right there will, will, will kind of lead you on how you can get involved in that area. Uh, the YouVersion Bible app, we use that. Uh, there's a link, please, two, min two minutes, just watch it. And every Sunday when you come in, you can grab your iPhone, iPad, whatever you use. You can go to the YouVersion Bible app and you can access the Cross Loganville. All of my sermons are uploaded every week. And so uh, it's the easiest, best way for you. You make notes there. It's very, very, very convenient, and it's going to help you grow. That's what we care about here is seeing people grow uh, in their faith. I want to pray it up, and I pray that your hearts are open as we engage uh, in our series Connected, about connecting with God and connecting with others. So, Father, we love you, and we're so thankful uh, that you've allowed us to wake up another day, Lord, just uh, with somewhat healthy bodies, and Lord, I, I just pray in Jesus' name that distractions would be eliminated and the Holy Spirit would have just total permission to infiltrate and to minister and speak into this space right now. I pray that our hearts really would be aligned with you and that we would really desire to hear from you and to be shaped by you, transformed by you. So uh, Holy Spirit, please pour yourself out in a powerful way and would our answer be yes to whatever you show us today? In Jesus' name, amen. So we established last week, talking about the church, uh, capital C uh, church versus small C church, that the Cross Loganville is a small C church. We're a non-denominational church, which means that we do not have direct affiliation with any uh, umbrella denomination that's out there meaning Baptist, Presbyterian, Assembly of God, Church of God, etc. cetera. Uh, again, uh, because of who we are and the uniqueness of who we are, I want to dive deeper into that. Our mission at the Cross Loganville is to connect your story with Christ and others. That's our mission. So as we do the series on Connected, uh, it's going to be a lot of emphasis on your vertical walk with God, as well as your connection with others, as well as your own personal uh, spiritual growth, uh, spiritual formation and maturation in your own journey. We think that is absolutely crucial. And we're at pivotal times right now in human history. And if we ever needed to be connected with God and others, it's right now, right? And so we are committed here at the Cross Loganville to fulfill the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found in Matthew 28. 
and uh, Jesus has been crucified, buried. He reveals himself to his apostles, disciples, if you will. And he looks at these disciples and he makes this statement. He goes, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything that I have commanded. And I'm going to be with you until the end of the age. So to fulfill the Great Commission, we believe uh, in making disciples. Now, here's our working definition of disciple, and you need to know this. Uh, our working definition is a disciple is a person who is being all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. That implied is a disciple maker is helping others be all they can be and the best they can be for the glory of God. The word that is used for disciple I established last week with you that we're all at the mercy of how we define terms, and it is absolutely uh, essential that we define everything biblically and accurately. The word disciple in Scripture is the word Talmud, and it literally meant to be an apprentice or a student of Jesus. So when Jesus looked at these guys before they became his disciples, he made this statement. He would say, John, come and follow me. Chad, come and follow me. And it literally meant, I believe in you, and you've got what it takes to be just like me. So a disciple was a person who was a student of Jesus, and the phraseology of that time was they would walk in the dust of their rabbi. They would be so close to their master, to their rabbi and teacher, that they would be in such proximity that when the rabbi was walking and moving along, that the dust off of his very sandals would uh, hit them in the face, if you will. That's, that's, that's important. So, so who are y'all? We're, we're here uh, to connect your story with Christ and others, but we're here to become fully alive, devoted followers of Christ as, as disciples and disciple makers. That's progression right there. So our strategy from the time I got here, uh, and these four words, you'll hear these words used at the Cross Loganville. We want to reach, we want to teach, we want to train, and we want to send. Here's what we mean by that. We desire uh, to reach those people that are lost. People that are lost and alienated and disconnected from God, we want to reach those. Those people that are hurting, we want to reach. Those people that are disengaged, we want to reach. Those people have become uh, discouraged with religion, if you will, or whatever. We want to reach those people. And, and, and so there, there's people all over the map, as I shared last week. Uh, there's people all over the map uh, when we meet them. I talked about the A, B, C, D, and E stuff, that some people we meet, they're apathetic. Some people are becoming interested. Some people have entered into a confessing of Christ and, and they're very infant in their journey. Some people are Ds, they're developing as disciples and being able to equip others. But a lot of those A's and B's, we, we want to reach those. And, and even some of the infant C's who have become disengaged and are not in community and fellowship, we want to reach. So, so then, as a person is, is reached with the gospel, we want to teach them the foundations of the faith. And so we believe that the word of God is foundational for everything that we do. We believe that the word of God is inspired by God, which literally, literally means it was breathed by God. So we believe, just our take, and, and, and based on study, that this book right here, the Word of God is true for all people of all places in all times. 
You'll get into conversation with people saying, well, uh, the way that applied back then is different now. Know that the word of God is true for all people of all places of all time. And if you start to compromise or minimize any of it, you're on a slippery slope. So as, as we teach the word of God, our desire is to then train people in the faith. Uh, we want to equip followers of Jesus to, to really step out of self-protection and to step in a supernatural life of faith that God has for us. It is so hard for so many people to step out of self-protection. So many people want to live in isolation. They want to protect themselves. They, they, they don't want anybody knowing their story. They've, they've got the shame and guilt stuff working. But you know as well as I do that once you step out of self-protection and you drop the fig leaf and you're known, God starts to bring about amazing healing in your life. So then once a person goes through the training, then we want to see them sent out into the world, representing God. You hear the word, hey, we're here to represent, where the word represent really means to represent to the world the glory and goodness of God. So when I got here, the missional budget 11 years ago was 15000 a year. We're giving over 100000 now uh, to invest in local, national, and global missions. We're a, a, a ministry here that's committed to helping empower others to take the good news into the world, okay? So we, we, we personally believe that, that in spiritual transformation and spiritual formation, if we're, if we're living out what Jesus has called us to, uh, we're going to see people converted, we're going to see people committed, we're going to see people connected, and we're going to see people contributing. That was the model, and that is what Jesus valued. So, so Jesus didn't come to take part. He came to take over. And Jesus came to bring about conversion. If you look at the first miracle after Jesus is anointed, dove falls on him, river of Jordan, uh, and all of a sudden Jesus launches his public ministry. He goes to this wedding and he's chilling with these people celebrating. And it was about a week long uh, celebration they would have. And the scripture says, and when the wine gave out halfway through the, the wedding. So what does Jesus do? Fill these water pots up dudes and bring them back over here to me. And, uh, and all of a sudden, they started to sip it, and they're going, this is wine. What did he do? He converted it. He established that his ministry was going to be a ministry of conversion. He takes water and changes the substance to wine. Throughout the pages of Scripture, we see Jesus taking blind eyes and all of a sudden spitting on dirt, whatever he did, and all of a sudden, they became seeing eyes. We, we see stories of lame legs becoming leaping legs, people that were dead being raised to life. He converted, and the word convert means to change. It means to change. And it's to change from one purpose to another. You go, uh, well, how does that live out with us? Well, our bodies convert food into energy. So conversion. So, so God wants to bring about conversion in our life. Every one of us need to be converted. I will establish that as I unpackage uh, this message here. But spiritually, mentally, morally, I mean, we need to be converted. Even the psalmist David in the most famous probably Psalm, maybe even one of the most famous passages of scripture in the Bible. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, etc. He gets to the place where he says, and he restores my soul. The Hebrew word for converted means to restore. And, and when you look at convert and restore, it means to return to what we were initially created to be. 
We're going to unpackage that. See, and, and you will hear me say oftentimes that the cross Loganville is a restoration culture. People restore cars, restore furniture. And we believe that every person needs to experience the restoration of God in their lives. They need to be restored because we're born into the world, jacked up, messed up, whatever. Now, now here's the way it lays out. In Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see God making man and creating man in his image. So, so God makes man in his image. And the first created man, Adam, lived in perfect, intimate fellowship with God. The first man that was ever placed here had this intimate uh, communion with God. And through his intellect and the free will that God had placed inside of him, he was to reflect God's glorious character to the world. Hey, I want you to reflect my glory and character to the world. Now, the word glory, again, we're all at the mercy of how we define terms. The word glory is the sum of all of God's magnificent attributes. So I'm going to place you here, and I want you to reflect my attributes and character to the world. Yes. So man has a purpose for being on the planet. And if you walked in here today, and you're like, well, I don't know what my purpose is. I'm about to let the cat out the bag, okay? I'm going to tell you what your purpose is. Well, you don't know me. I know what your purpose is. You, you see, you were created in the image of God. You were made and created by God. Here's your purpose. Your purpose is to know God, enjoy God, glorify God, and reflect God to your world. Who's that for? Every person. That's the only reason I exist. That's the reason you exist. So then you have to ask yourself the question, do I truly know God? Am I enjoying God? Am I glorifying God? And am I reflecting and representing God to my world? John Piper made this statement. He said, do you realize that God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied with him? You see, our ultimate satisfaction has to be in the Lord. So Adam is walking with this unhindered, intimate communion and fellowship with God. Then you factor in Genesis chapter 3. He willfully chooses to rebel and sin against God. Adam and Eve, they got off the rails and they went against God. And as soon as that happened, Adam lost his authority. God had told him, I want you to reign and rule. But when they sinned against God, he lost his authority. He lost his perfection. He became infected at that time. You and I are born into the world. Here's another theological term. It's called we're born into the world with an Adamic nature. Adamic nature means we're born with the very nature of Adam. Romans 5 verse 12 says it this way. Therefore, just as through one man... Sin entered into the world. And death through sin spread to all men. So we inherited the Adamic nature, his fallen nature, sinful nature, messed up, jacked up nature was passed on to all humanity. He says, all have sinned. So every person I meet, I know they're born with the Adamic nature. I know that that person is born into the world flawed, sinful and messed up 
And so if I can get to that, going, hey, when I was born, I was born alienated and distant from God. When I was born into the world, I was born two-thirds alive. Seriously, I'm made in the image of God. God is a triune God. But I was made in the image of God to reflect God, and I am a triune being. I'm body, soul, and spirit. So when I'm born, my body's alive, my soul is alive, my thoughts, my emotion, my will, but my spirit was born dead. And every person I meet is spiritually born dead. And even Ephesians 2 would say, we were born dead in our sin and in our trespasses. Now, God in his graciousness and, and goodness would send Jesus, and Jesus would be the perfect representation, not born with an Adamic nature. That's the reason when you get into the virgin birth, it's such a, a powerful piece of doctrine, if you will, is because no man had penetrated, no sinful man had penetrated Mary. God impregnates himself in Mary's womb. So Jesus was not born with the Adamic nature. He was born with the Father's nature. So Jesus lives his 33 years of perfect life. And he willfully walked the Via Della Rosa to die a criminal's death on the cross. And he defeats death, hell, and the grave. And he did that so that man could be restored, converted, and rescued. That, 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 that's it. I, I, I have paid the ultimate price so that man can be restored and brought back into right relationship with God. If you study history, and I believe man has been on the planet just over 6,000 years. I don't believe in all this 2 million. And, I believe a literal Genesis account that man has been on the planet about 6,000 years. Do you realize that God, in his kindness and goodness, has always provided the right solutions for man's deepest needs? Do you realize that when we've got dilemmas and confusion and we don't know where to turn, do you realize that if we run to God and run to God's sources, God has always provided for man's greatest struggles, sicknesses, diseases, whatever it is? And when we repent and choose to follow Christ, he promises the joy and peace that surpasses mine uh, and man's understanding. My mind can't understand and comprehend uh, the, the riches of God. So here's, I'm going to give you multiple premise statements in this. Here's a prim, premise statement as a result of what I've just laid out. Lost people need to be found. Lost people need to be found. Memorize Luke chapter 19, verse 10. Jesus makes this statement. In Luke 19, he says, for the son of man, speaking of himself, the son of man came, he's telling why he came, the son of man came to seek, which means I'm going to pursue after, I'm going to seek you out, I came to seek and save those which were lost. Why would you come, Jesus? I came to pursue you, I came to save you, because you were lost. That's why I've come. And so if we, if we want to know the mission of Jesus, in a sense, we would stop and go, wow, why did he come to seek and to save that which was lost? Because sin, disease, the human psyche, soul, heart, etc., and we need to be saved. Now, I oftentimes sit around and just play with words and write out stuff. It's part of my 
therapy, as part of my own personal healing, if you will, is I give thanks and glory to God. And I just will sit down and just like, all right, if you had to capture the Genesis account all the way uh, to the redemptive work of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit that he's promised, how would you do it? I'm going to share some of my writings with you right now. And here's something I wrote years ago. Once upon a time, or when the story really begins, unity, purity, and intimacy live with no interruption. Beauty, extravagance, peace. Life was perfect. The giver of life breathed one day, and the normals were born. Unity, purity, intimacy, beauty, peace continued to flourish. The normals thought they were missing something. Being normal wasn't good enough, or so they reasoned. They had heard that supernormal was possible. That was a lie. And they reached for who they weren't, and they lost who they were. And the normals became the abnormals from that day on. Unity gave way to chaos, and purity was lost for shame, and intimacy or being known was, sto was stolen, and it was covered with chaos. The abnormals dreamed, and they longed of being normal again. They tried and tried, and even to this day, they tried to get their name back, but their self-efforts didn't work, and their solutions left them empty. The giver of life had a plan. He had the plan. I will become, he said. I will offer my uniqueness. The abnormals are disconnected, and without me providing, they're going to remain distant and dark and disturbed and defeated. The giver of life, he made a way. He became the way. He made a possible connection for abnormal to be reconnected. He sent his son special to do the work. Special was giver's heart. Special is life. Special gives life abundantly. Special seeks and saves. And when I realize who special is and what special offers, I refuse to stay abnormal any longer. Special offers hope and healing and salvation and redemption. And he offers unity and purity and intimacy and beauty and extravagance and peace. They reached for who they weren't and they lost who they were. And every person in this room, at some point in our journey, we decided to reach for who we weren't. We decided that we could get our needs met apart from Christ. And we got infatuated with the less wild lovers to try to sedate, medicate, or even validate who we were. And we opened the door to chaos. And as a result of being born lost in the sin, we were born lost, created these four laws of the heart that kind of rule who we are. So we all come in here at some point in our lives and, and we've tried all this other stuff. But we got these four laws where we long for love and acceptance and worth, L-A-W, and S. Guys long for significance and girls long for security. But we've tried all these other things to try to fill the hole in our soul. And we've asked other things to give us love and to give us acceptance and to give us worth. And for dudes, we've been like, I I'm significant because of, but it hasn't worked. And it's left us empty and it's left us frustrated because deep down inside, all of us know I need to be found and I can't find myself and I, and, and I can't save myself.
and I can't rescue myself. So here's another premise thought. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make lost people found. And I think a lot of times people, as they contemplate and consider the gospel narrative, they think that, hey, man, if I meet Jesus, he's going to make this bad person good. No, he's going to make a lost person found. And he doesn't want us to be good. He wants us to be godly. Because you can be good and not be godly, but it's impossible to be godly and not be good. And I think we've got this scale system or whatever, and it doesn't work. And I can promise you, I'm so thankful that God found this crazy lost dog and gave him redemption. Here's another thing I wrote. Here's my story. Born in poverty from a litter of three, void of direction or real pedigree. Who he was, he didn't know. Wandering, drifting, aimless, he goes. A sooner, a mutt, a misfit at best, confused and uncertain, he had no rest. Longing for meaning, for purpose, yet numb, he drank and he partied and settled for crumbs. Destined for failure like all other hounds, there's no need for dreaming, was the echoing sound. Then one day, as he staggered down the street, grace reached down, and who did he meet? With compassionate eyes and care in his hands, this dog was told of a promising land. He thought the story was too good to be true because living like hell was all that he knew. But I'll take you with me. You will be my treasure. Together for life, come experience my pleasure. Rescued and ransomed, a gift that was free. The dog's name is no secret. The dog is me. And each inside of every one of us, we, 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 we have to get to the place where we realize that the crumbs that the, world's, that the world offers us leaves us empty and tired and exhausted, and we continue to stay lost. And I will speak this over you today. I will tell you that you don't have to stay lost that redemption is possible in Jesus' name. Redemption is available in Jesus' name. From the time that man sinned in the Garden of Eden and from that reckless, rebellious behavior, all of human history was pointing to this little hill outside of Jerusalem called Mount Calvary. And all of human history was pointing to where God had appointed his son to become savior and redeemer and Lord and that he would defeat sin once and for all. That's the narrative. Everything was pointing. I'm going to send my son and he's going to die a criminal's death. Here's another premise statement. Write it down. Jesus' death on the cross is the most overwhelming evidence of God's love for us. Jesus' death, his sacrificial, atoning death, is the strongest evidence of God's love. For God so loved that he gave his one and only son. And if we start to tap into that, 
It's like I, I've got to have it. I need it. I want it. I'm sick of being sick. I'm sick of staying in stable misery. We, we, we read in Ephesians 2, for it is by grace God's riches revealed in Jesus. It's by grace, unmerited favor. You, you can't do anything to earn it. It's by grace that you've been saved. Saved, that word salvation means to be rescued from death and hell. By grace you've been saved. And, 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 and it's through faith, it's through believing, pistis, persuaded to action, faith. I'm, I'm trusting God. It's not of yourselves. You didn't bring anything to the dance. You can't boast about it. It is a free gift of God. And I memorized that years ago, and I'm like, man, praise God. I'm saved by grace through faith. God has rescued me and delivered me from hell. And as a brand new believer, I needed that. I'm like, Lord, I need to know this free gift that you've given. Do I boast about my salvation? No. I boast about his salvation. I boast about his goodness. I boast about his love for humanity. Even Titus chapter 3, verses 4 and 5 says, When the kindness of God and our Savior for his, his love for mankind appeared, he saved us, not on the basis of our good deeds, which we've done in righteousness, but he saved us according to his mercy. And so if, if grace is giving us what we don't deserve, mercy is almost God withholding that judgment. Mercy is the kindness and compassion of God being extended to us when we're living in misery, when we don't have the answers, when we can't figure it out, when we know we're disoriented and confused. And he goes, hey, by grace, you don't bring anything to the dance. And God in his kindness and his love for mankind desires to redeem every person. So back to what I said earlier, all of our attempts to find love, acceptance, worth, security, significance, any of that stuff apart from Christ will not work. And you're sitting here this morning and you go, I've never even surrendered to Christ. I've never repented and yielded. Today could be the greatest day. It could be the jump start for, for, for a narrative that you, you, you wouldn't even comprehend. As long as we hold on to this stuff of our past and our guilt and our shame and our pain and our addictions, we're, we're going to stay defeated. But once we say, God, I got to have you. If you've never surrendered, do it right now. All of us, let's pray. Let's bow. And I'll continue. But just cry out to the Lord right now and say, Lord, I need you. I receive you to be my Savior. I receive you to be my Lord. I believe that your death on the cross is the complete payment for my sin. Thank you for forgiving me, and thank you for giving me new life. Lord, please help me to grow in my understanding of your love and my understanding of how powerful you are. And Lord, I want my life to bring honor to you. It's got to be the, the, the posture of your heart is just humility and just saying, I receive that. I step into that. I yield to that. I surrender in Christ's name. Now, now please look at me. The first step of obedience once we surrender is, is laid out in scripture. It's baptism. And it's like, you've got to yield, you've got to surrender. But when you do, it's like, I've got to be baptized. I was talking to my buddy Kevin this week, and he grew up in a Catholic system, a Catholic marinade. And he said, you know, I was baptized when I was an infant. 
Then I was baptized again as I went through confirmation at 12. He said, but brother, after I came to understand the gospel and surrendered to Christ at like 33, he goes, man, I was baptized. And he said, that's when the game started changing for me because I had yielded and surrendered to Christ. And so no matter where you're at today, I can promise you that yielding and surrendering totally to Jesus and taking that first step of obedience, baptism, and we're going to baptize the next week, and we've got quite a few already signed up for it. But I would challenge you, step in to that space. Now, here's what happens to us. When we trust Jesus and surrender to the Lord, some amazing things happen to us. And for a lot of people, they don't even know they happen. But do you realize that when you surrender based on Colossians chapter 2, that all of your sin, past, present, and future, is totally forgiven? Man, when, when, when my buddy Walter that was mentoring me, he goes, dude, do you realize that all your sin, all the jacked up stuff of your past, even when you sin now, or possible sins in the future, do you realize that God looks at you as totally forgiven? I'm like, no way. He goes, you're saved by grace. You're kept by grace. You can't, you can't keep yourself saved. It's his power that does it. And I'm like, man, I'm forgiven. He goes, you're also God's child. God looks at you as his child because he said as many, John 1, Romans 8, he said as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. Romans 8, 15 says we now can come to God and call him Abba, Daddy. He goes, call him Daddy. He loves you. That happened to me when I got saved. I had a new father. I had a heavenly father. He promised me eternal life. John 5, he goes, do you realize nobody's going to snatch you out of my hand? I'm like, praise God. No, the enemy can't snatch me out. Man can't snatch me out. I'm delivered from Satan's power. I'm transferred into the kingdom of light. That's what he says in Colossians. I'm going to put the Holy Spirit inside of you. I'm going to give you power. I'm like, yes. 2 Corinthians 5, he goes, you're now a new creation. We, we, you go to our recovery meetings on Monday and Thursday, and every night as they go through the 12 steps, that's one of the verses right there. I'm a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, all things become new. I am now viewed as God, God's righteousness. And if you have repented and surrendered, that's true about you. And I would tell you today, believe and embrace the truths that God has laid out in Scripture. Embrace them. Believe what God believes about you. Start standing on it. Saturate your hearts and minds with that. Now, we believe part of the growth and uh, movement that can take place in a believer's life uh, here at the cross. There's four major things we value. And I want you to hear these. Th these four things we value. We value Sunday worship. We value that. We value being involved in a small group, connecting with others. We value serving with a generous heart. We, we want to serve with our time, our talents, our treasures, whatever God's given. We, we, we want to serve God with those. And then we value sharing your story. Now, we believe you're going to grow, and we believe this is how found people start to flourish in their faith journey. We, we believe this. Th think about the Sunday engagement, if you will. Engaging weekly in a worship service with other believers and diving into the Word and singing like we have today. You know as well as I do that if we've learned anything over the last 20 months one, we live in a very fallen, crippled, confused, evil world, but we've learned this. We've learned that being quarantined and saying, hey, man, we're just going to put everything online, 
Online services are such a weak substitute. You can sit there and watch that little thing, man, and sip your coffee in your drawers and your fruit of the loom. It's not working. It's not. I'm not saying any of y'all sent me pictures. Thank y'all for not doing that. But the truth is we, we, we came to the realization that we don't want to do that because it's a violation of Hebrews 10 where he says, do not forsake assembling together as some are in the habit of doing. But as you see the day of the Lord getting closer and closer and meeting Jesus, rally together. Can I tell you something? We're in a place right now where collective corporate worship is essential. You, you can't do the ISO silo thing. It doesn't work. Another thing I would tell you is participating in a small group where you can love others and be loved by others, where you can know others and be known by others. Life is done in circles, not in rows. And so if you're going to really experience life, you're not experiencing life by looking at the person's, the back of their head this morning. When you get into a small group and you start to share and do life together, that's where you're going to grow. And we need that. All of us value that. Uh, Serving and giving is such a huge part of our, our growth and our, uh, how, how we, we get changed and how we impact other people. And I can tell you, serving and giving is not like a place or an event. It's a philosophy of life. A lot of people think, well, man, I served uh, last month in this place. No, we're to be serving every day. That should be the posture of our heart uh, with our family members, with our neighbors. How can I, how can I serve you, Right? It's not what I can get, it's what I can give. And so when it comes to whatever God has invested in you, whatever God's given you, the earth is the Lord's. I mean, we do that 100-day giving challenge, Drew, to challenge people to start tithing. Why? Because we want their money? No, we want them to learn to trust God because God wants to bless them in ways they've never thought possible. And then we want you to share your story with your world. You go, well, I, don't, I don't know that much. It doesn't matter. And I wrote this out, that my fear in sharing Jesus decreased and diminished when I understood that those around me needed hope and healing more than I needed to share the gospel with perfection. It's not about me. The gospel is one beggar telling another beggar where he found bread. It's your story. And and so a lot of people go, well, I just don't feel comfortable sharing. It's your story. I mean, I promise you, if you can sip coffee out there and talk about number 99 and, and number 7 and number 17 and how they were hitting guys, like, you can show the gospel. You can talk about how proud of that defense you are, you can share the gospel. You, you, you can share about how good the Savior is. And we get in these conversations all the time. Oh, man, did you see this? Did you say, hey, can I share with you what God's doing in my life? See, the part where the gospel does not rest or rely on my ability to articulate it with perfection. The part where the gospel rests on Jesus. And I've had people say, I'm just scared. So was I. Come share your testimony. I'm scared. I don't make any sense. I'm dumb. Go share your story, dude. Overcome your fear. And I started looking at that like, Courage is not the absence of fear. Courage is just saying, I got to do it. And there's been so many things that God has just totally shattered my comfort zone. Go do that. Pray over that dude right now. Pray over him.
I mean, he's about to die. Pray, just pray over him. Go love that family. Go do that funeral over there. Step into that. I'm like, I don't know how to do it. He goes, good. I'm capable of using a donkey to give divinity a ride, so it's not about you. That's right. So I want to ask you, who are you sharing your faith with? Who are you sharing with? Who are you praying for? You got family members and friends that are lost, disconnected, alienated, and they're out there drugging it or boozing it or, I mean, they're just living a life of promiscuity or whatever. And you're like, I'm not going to write them off. Their story matters. And if they got connected to Christ and others, what would happen? Right? So the Cross Loganville, I told you last week, we're a community of messy people. But we're, we're a community that really genuinely loves God and we're trying to seek out the heart of God. And, and we're committed to passionately discovering celebrating, and even struggling with who God is. We're going to celebrate the goodness of God. We're going to struggle. And as we walk into this, we're struggling with who he's made us to be, how to live out our faith, how to honor him. That's who the Cross Loganville is. We're students of Jesus. And if you hang out with me and, and Nick and Dustin and Steve and all of our guys, Rick, I will promise you this, there's a lot of thinking and pondering and struggling that goes on. If you're looking for people who have had their tassel turned and have graduated and have the spiritual diploma in hand, it would not be us. We're struggling. We're trying to figure it out. But we want to help you struggle well. We want to struggle well. And, and, and we challenge people here at the cross to step into something bigger than themselves. It's going to be a little risky. It's not going to be comfortable. So whether it's giving, whether it's serving, whether it's sharing your faith, it's going to cost you a little something. But Jesus said, if anyone wishes to come after me, he's got to take up his cross daily and follow me. I can promise you this. People that land here and stay with us, they believe in our raw, real, transparent DNA. And if you don't like transparency and realness and rawness, mm, probably not going to work very long because we're raw people. But we're, we're trying to figure it out. We want to glorify God. We want to be the best that we can be and all we can be for the glory of God. As I said before, we're living at a critical time in human history. We're living at what I think to be the pinnacle of confusion in this nation. We don't, we don't know what truth is. We don't know who to believe. And we're living at a time where media and others have done a major job to pit people against each other. And it's even starting to leak over into the church where people feel like they're to be pitted against one another. You, if, you, if you belong to Christ, you're under the blood. We may have some differing views. So whether you like the elephant or whether you like the donkey, if we're under the blood, we're brothers and sisters, and we should be able to have a logical, real conversation without stabbing and dogging and damning each other. Whether you think you should be poked or not poked, I mean, that's a big argument right now. But if I love my neighbor, I'm going to sit there and listen to him. But, but, but right now, we're living at a critical time in human history. And for a lot of people that have even had some infant, shallow church affiliation, they are, they're asking questions like, where's God right now? Is God still sovereign? Why is he allowing all this madness to happen? I mean, why, why all the chaos? Man, I'm hurting. I'm confused. I don't even know what I'm doing. These kind of questions that people are asking matter to us.
And we realize that in the midst of this liberal culture in which we find ourselves, that the Cross Loganville has got to be the kind of church that speaks a message that is countercultural to the times in which we find ourselves living. We've got to, and we're going to struggle, and we're going to get into more conversations in this series of struggling through questions, and how do we land with a, a God-style viewpoint on things, but that's who we are, and, 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 and that's who God has called us to be. We believe that what we value the most determines what we do with our time and money, and, and the question that you're going to have to wrestle with is this, am What am I going to do? Am I willing to go all in? Am I going to risk it all? Am I willing to just give Jesus everything and and say, Lord, use me however you want to use me? Because the times that we're living in, I mean, you look back at Acts 2 and Acts 4. The early church was under persecution. The church was being scattered. There was all this chaos going on. And the people had to come together and rally their resources and really yoke up with one another. In order for the church to flourish, could we be heading back to an Acts 2 kind of culture? Possibly. Just off the chart here, just off the record. But I woke up the other morning, it was like 3.30 and I couldn't go back to sleep. And my heart was heavy. My heart was burdened. And I I was just like praying and and spending time with the Lord going, Lord, how do I live out a God-centered faith in the midst of all this confusion. There's so much stuff I don't agree with. There's a lot of times I sit there and I'm like, what we're facing right now, a large part of it was planned. There's so much evil going on in our world. Just hear me out. But I was sitting there the other morning and I was like, all right, Lord, I remember when Nebuchadnezzar was in rule in Babylon. And I remember when Nebuchadnezzar took all those Jewish kids out of Jerusalem and he brought them into Babylon. And I wanna read through that some more. So I sat there the other morning, and I'm like, all right, so what did Nebi try to do? He tried to change these dudes. I'm going to do a whole message on this. But he tried to change them spiritually. He tried to change them physically. He tried to change them mentally. You see, no man has stolen your name is your destiny. So when he brings them in, I mean, you got Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and their names mean God is our judge, and Jehovah is gracious, and Yahweh is our helper. And they gave them these pagan names that were all about Bell, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. People go, have you ever heard the story about Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? I I will never refer to them dudes in those names because that's not what their names are. It would be like some Hellion giving me a nickname going, that's not my name. My name's Timothy. It means to honor God. Okay? But he tried to change them spiritually. And according to your research and all this stuff, there's things going on right now where culture has tried to change us with the very DNA of who we are. He tried to change them mentally. He tried to change them physically. So we're going to change your diet and we're going to do all this stuff over here to alter your physical appearance. And I'm like, that's what we're dealing with right now. And then we're going to change you mentally. We're going to teach you the Babylonian Chaldean literature. So I'm sitting there the other morning. This is just me. It's had nothing to do with my notes. It's just sharing my heart. But please listen to me. I'm sitting there and I'm like, Lord, what can I learn from Daniel's life of how he continued to honor you with the right attitude without being harsh toward Darius or Nebuchadnezzar or any of these people? 
How, how do I show respect toward these people, but you are the one that I honor? And I started extracting, just sitting there going, all right, there's so much we can learn from Daniel when the pressure and the intimidation, that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. It was pressure. It was intimidation. It was manipulation. He was trying to alter it. And I'm like, what can I, how, how can I glorify God in the midst of this world I'm living in right now? And I think that, that, that should be our question. How do I glorify God? How do I struggle with the things of God? How, how, how do I bring glory to God? How do I not cave in to whatever? And that, that's the struggle I'm in right now. And I think it's the struggle you're in right now. And it's the struggle of not being able to sleep and waking up and going, how do I pray for my people? And how do I love my people? And how do I shepherd these people with the truths of God? That's where I'm at. That's just, that's just where I'm at. Because as you look at our staff, we're committed to honor God. That's what we want to do. And, and so we have to comb through arguments and listen to issues and not just check boxes because other people are checking them. It's, it's a struggle. How do we love God? How do we worship God? How do we love neighbor? How do we encourage neighbor? How do we, how do we reach out to those that are lost? We celebrate seeing people come to faith in Christ. I do. I don't celebrate according to how they voted. I don't celebrate their position on the jab. I celebrate when they come to faith in Christ. I celebrate when they repent. I celebrate when they yield to the Lord. We spend so much of our resources trying to pour into that next generation. Well, what kind of world is the next generation going to live in? What, what kind of generation is my little cedar and arrow and Selah and my, my grandkids? What are they going to live in? Where, 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 did, where did the church start to give up ground? Where did the people of faith start to give up ground? When did we start to embrace the Roe Wade? When did we start to support Woodstock more than we did the Word of God? When did we become more fans of, of Hendricks and Cream and the Doors than we did Peter, J James, and Paul? And the church eroded because it started giving up ground. It started making compromise. So, so how do we live it out? How do I take a biblical stance? If you hang with us, we're going to struggle through this stuff together. Do you have all the answers? No. But I promise you, the goal of our instruction is to love you with a pure heart, a good conscience, and sincere faith. That's what 1 Timothy 1.5 says. Are we going to struggle together? Yes. Are we going to rejoice when lost people are found? Yes. Are we going to rejoice when a person who's even been found, who's been battling addiction, starts to experience freedom? Yes, we, we, we will. Are we going to love those B's and A's? We, we are. Are you going to get uncomfortable sitting here if you've been an infant C and just want to stay there? Yeah, you will. You will. Because we're in this thing together. And as a pastor and life coach and shepherd, all I want to speak over you now as I wrap it up is, I love you. I love every one of you. And I want to see each and every one of us flourish in our faith. Tara, that's been the track record since you met us, baby. Since I stepped on this campus in December of 2010, we've walked this thing out together. Have we not? And we've struggled. And it's like, hey, we're in it together. Chad, that's, that's, that's where we've landed. Let's pray it up, okay? Lights are going down. I want to spend some time in prayer.